Send us your Holy Spirit, God, that these words might speak to us as your word, and our lives might bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to read from 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7 and 14. It's found on pages 966 on your pew Bible. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I am grateful to God whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with your joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Louis, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and love of self-disciple. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My friends, it is a joy and honor to be with you today to the Presbytery of Florida and to the good people of Faith Presbyterian Church. Thank you for this invitation to be a part of this wonderful service. But more than that, thank you for keeping your ears and your eyes, your hearts, your minds tuned to the way that God would call you to discern what God is doing, has done, will continue to do in the life of Aaron Rue. As one of those who has had the privilege of nurturing and being nurtured by Aaron, I'm beholden to tell you to strap in and get ready. Get ready to be propelled by the possibilities that ministry with Aaron will bring to you all. And from the good folks at St. Luke's Presbyterian Church, whom Aaron had the privilege to share in ministry with over the last five years, and the congregation that has sent me here to be a part of the service, I also bring you a warm congratulations to you, and also I have been told by all of them to bring you a somewhat mother bearish exhortation. Uh, an exhortation for you to care for Aaron as they have done so well. And Aaron can attest to you all that they are a feisty bunch. And they will be watching, as many of them are watching right now online. All of us, though, all of us are praying for you, our siblings in Christ praying that God will continue to do with you, for you, and through you more than you could ever hope for or ever imagine. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, silence in us any voice but your own, so that the words that I might feebly speak here might be intercepted by your Spirit. 
and might speak to us with wisdom and with truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So several years ago, my husband and I were in Rome, Italy, and we found our way into this church which housed 28 marble steps. These steps make up something called the Scala Sancta, or the Holy Stairs. The steps were believed to be part of Pontius Pilate's palace. The palace in Jerusalem, the same steps that Jesus climbed before appearing before Pilate. Now, it's believed that the Emperor Constantine's mother, Helena, brought those steps all the way from Jerusalem to Rome in about the fourth century. And since the Middle Ages, when pilgrims started flocking to Rome to pray and to churches and to venerate relics, millions of faithful people have made this traditional penitential ascent on their knees up these stairs. Around 1723, to protect the stairs, they were encased in wood. And they hadn't been seen without that wood veneer in over 300 years. But for two months in 2019, from Palm Sunday to Pentecost, pilgrims were able to ascend the bare marble stairs. And so there we were, kneeling down, waiting our turn to ascend those 28 steps. It was way more uncomfortable than I had ever imagined it would be. You see, when the stairs were uncovered, the restorers found these large furrows that were running along each step, which they deduced were caused by the toes of the pilgrims, the shoes as they would lift up and put their knees on the next step. Well, the wood covering those steps that was intended to protect them instead made the furrows even deeper. And so while they were smooth, they were nothing like what I would say comfortable. Well, as I prayed with each step, I got to about the 18th step. And I was pretty certain that God had grown really tired of talking with me. The dear man who was directly in front of me each one of those steps was moving really slowly. And so I decided maybe he had more to say to God. Or I confessed that maybe he had a lot more to confess than I did. But at that moment, that sacred event began to make me really question my religion. And so I turned to my husband and I whispered, I'm making a run for it on my knees, of course. And so I began to swiftly but carefully maneuver my way around the man in front of me and weave my way up through the people who were in front of him. Y'all, I've never, ever claimed to be a model Christian. I made those last 10 steps in about 15 seconds. And upon reaching the top of the stairway, there was an usher there 
and he was assisting everyone to their feet. So he reached down to me and he assisted me up. And as I turned, I literally saw hundreds upon hundreds of people waiting in line to ascend those steps on their knees. And suddenly I was overwhelmed overwhelmed by the magnitude of our shared faith, overwhelmed by the notion that there were thousands of saints who had gone before us on those steps, and there were thousands more who would come after us. All of us hoping that just for a moment our faith might be strengthened, that we might have an encounter with the divine, but perhaps none of us fully aware, as I was only fully aware in that moment afterwards, that our climb up those steps was not solely our own. That simply because each of us and all of us had been there, each one of us etched out even but a minuscule piece of those steps. And therefore, somehow, we were inextricably part of one another's journey of faith. My friends, this is the messiness and the mystery of our faith. All too often, all too often, we are completely unaware of the way that we lend and we borrow, that we give and that we receive faith until we are knee-deep in it. It's ironic, of course, that woven deeply into the fabric of Protestant Christianity is the idea that faith is something you must own or possess, like a lucky charm you can stick down into your pocket in order for it to be real. That the authenticity of your faith is measured by your ability, your ability to make it uniquely yours. Yet author Deborah Dean Murphy reminds us that Christian faith, the lived totality of belief and practice, of disposition and character, orientation and outlook, is less about something we possess within ourselves and more about something that we borrow from others. Something that we take up and we put on, as the Apostle Paul puts it. Faith has never been a shiny new garment hanging protected in a sealed bag. No matter how we ultimately come to it, faith is a well-worn hand-me-down. We try faith on for ourselves, and sometimes we have to grow into garments that are too big or maybe awkward. We, all of us, all of us, grow into faith throughout our lives. Now, one of my favorite moments as a pastor, a moment that I know, Aaron, you will pastorally relish in, is the honor of baptizing an infant. You know, there in that precious little life, that precious little life 
It's full of such hope and promise. But also in that precious little life is a little one that soils her diaper without warning, who doesn't hesitate to express when she is hangry or she is too tired to be amused by the oohs and ahs of others. And so often this little human is draped in a baptismal gown, a gown that may have been passed down from one generation to another with delicate fabric and lace that shows up in a tiny little garment that shows off the perfectly chubby little thighs underneath. Perhaps a gown like this one, the one in which Aaron was baptized on April 23rd of 1995. In that moment of baptism, faith was claimed and affirmed on behalf of and for this little one. This little one who had absolutely no idea what it means when the community of faith proclaims that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God moved over the waters at creation for you, little one. For you, the Lord God made covenant to bless that it was for you that the word of God became flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth for you, little one. Jesus suffered death and triumphed over it, rose in newness of life, and ascended to expand over everything like the sky. All of this, all of this was done for you, little one. And you knew not of it. And then the community of faith promises that we will continue to tell you this good news until it becomes your own. And you know what? In that sweet and tender and precious moment, while we are all pleasantly smiling at that picture-perfect moment, smiling at mom and dad and how proud they are to be standing before the community of faith. In that moment, the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit will do, and it blows the doors wide open and descends upon us and reminds us, if we pay attention, that this whole business of faith is not, nor has ever been, or ever will be a solo act. It is passed on from one generation to another, like a well-worn garment, perhaps tattered and mended, which only makes it more precious and valuable. And we trust that in time, we will learn. We will learn how to hand this faith down. And we will learn how to boldly and happily try it on for ourselves. And y'all, it's for this reason, for this reason, 
that we gather here today. Because when we gather as a people of faith to ordain one of our own, we not only recognize the one who is being ordained, but we also remember, as Paul encouraged Timothy to do. Today, we remember those who first carried faith for Aaron, for the family of faith that gathered around her when she was toddling or perhaps screaming or perhaps running through the church unsupervised. I hope you did that, Aaron. We remember those who claimed and affirmed the promises of God in her baptism while she was blissfully unaware. We remember those along the way who carried Aaron in faith and those who held faith for her when she needed someone to bear that weight with her and for her. And we look forward. We look forward to those with whom Aaron will share this treasure that has been entrusted to her. Entrusted to her not to keep, but to give away. For the young and the not so young, whose faith will be strengthened and nurtured by that legacy of faith that is living now in Aaron. And along the way, we will all remind her that this sobering and perhaps daunting calling is not hers to navigate alone, but it's our calling to make the way with Aaron. For she carries with her not only her own calling, but that of those who came before and those who will walk with her now and those who are to come. Y'all, it's good news. It's good news that all of us, every single one of us, are shameless beggars and borrowers of a faith that is never fully possessed like a commodity or a prize or an achievement. The truth is, the one we all too often forget, is that ultimately faith cannot be a personal possession. Because faith, faith does crazy things. Like hollowing out burrows in ancient stone steps. It makes bold, bold promises in baptism. It responds to calls that surprise you. Surprise you to move to a state you've only visited once before. To serve a church who does not yet know you. But yet somehow, even in that unknowing, somehow through the power of the Spirit at work, was already holding faith for you. And so, Aaron, may it be so in your life. May it be so in this congregation's life. May it be so in Christ's church throughout the world that for this reason, we gather. Amen.